Welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the how-to of creating conscious leadership for business, life and the world. With ordinary people doing extraordinary things and being truly in control of their own health, wealth and happiness. Knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. Introducing your host, Julie Hogbin, author, international speaker, mentor, disruptor, and creator of Conscious Leadership, and property investor living in the UK. Okay, so um, welcome to Richard Stone, to the Conscious Leadership podcast. I'm really excited to be doing this interview uh, with Richard. We met well, before lockdown, maybe once. So for all the listeners, this is being recorded while we're in the UK and we're in the lockdown. It's um, May 2020. And Richard and I are on the same mastermind, which is where we originally met. And then we're in a WhatsApp group together where we're getting to know each other more. And I've been watching what Richard's doing and I am fascinated by the man. I also think, and I've just said to him, I think he's a bit of a dark horse and he's just gone, why? So as part of this interview, um, I would love to know more about Richard and what he does. Um, I know some bits. I don't know all of it. So Richard from Stone Contracts, um, could you tell me what you do as your, if you like, day to day? What's your business? That's perhaps what I'll ask first. What's your business? Okay. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. It's always well, a pleasure welcome. to talk to you. Um, I find you fascinating. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and I just find it find your journey and the value that you obviously add to the big businesses fascinating. So thank you. Um, well, I'm quite humbled. Welcome. Um, so my so the day to day business so Stone Contracts Limited. We work for we work in the block management sector. Um, we work on properties that are typically between eight and 150 apartments and we've got three work streams that we deliver. So we deliver external repairs and decorations. So that's anything from roofs to railings, windows, to wainscoting, um, on the external, we do common part refurbishments. So that might be bringing the building up to, um, modern aesthetics. So new ceilings, new, new cabling, um, new services, new lifts removal of asbestos, um, carpets, okay. decorations, um, all the stuff that goes on to make a common parts um, up to modern specs. So we do those um, directly with clients. We do them with interior designers, even down to stuff like putting the pictures up at the end on specialist fixing so that they don't don't disappear. Um, and then the third work stream <laughs> that we've got is um, passive fire. So passive fire protection. Um, but again, for in the same sector, block management. So that's my day-to-day role within the business. Um, we've been going for about 18 months now. Um, we've been quite impacted by coronavirus. Um, yeah. but we're, we're coming out of the back of that now. Um, and we've got there were some really, really good clients, some really solid relationships with those clients. Um, and we look like we're going to have a really good year too. So I'm extremely excited about how that's going to shape up. Um, and some of the conversations we're having with with the right kind of clients, because there is such a thing as the right kind of client. Oh, um, without a doubt. And it's something that we're we're sort of quite focused on is actually who do we work for? It's not when customers talk to us about are we the right business for them. It's a two way conversation. Are they the right client for us? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, the amount of people I've 
I'm going to say the amount of people I've said no to working with because they you, you just know that they're not going to work well together and um being honest you don't need that gr that amount of grief it's okay to say no to a client exactly. a customer without it's quite doubt. healthy to do that and it's yeah, it's, it's quite just, healthy for, for the for the other clients that you have as well because from their perspective they can see that you are only keen on serving a certain type of business so you're not going to get pulled away and dealing with a load of hassle on another project because actually yeah. you're concentrating on dealing with only quality clients so yeah it is a good message it was it was one that i wrestled with yeah. a little bit if i'm honest um but since we've been doing it i'm really positive about it yeah it's a, it's a strong message and it's a good message um and considering this uh, podcast is called conscious leadership it's exactly what you're doing you're consciously leading your own business to where you want it to be rather than doing all and everything and trying to be everything to everybody else, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Where, where are you based, Richard? So we're based in Flittick in Bedfordshire. Um, we use, we're, that's where our offices and stuff are, and that's where our materials and stuff get delivered. Um, we've got facilities of an office in London if we ever want to use it to meet clients and stuff. Um, most of our work is with, or certainly within the M25 primarily. Um, a lot of what we do is we're in London. Um, but we do go further afield as well. We've done literally, we're just about to start a passive fire job down in Brighton um, for a client that's that we've worked with. I've known for probably eight or nine years, um, and we we've always got a lot of projects on site with them. Um, okay. We, we will go further afield, um, but again, it's got to be the right projects. It's got to be the right projects. It's got to be the right client. Um, and if all of those things line up, it's like anything. If all the stars align, then brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, we we will go further afield. Um, I've got no great plans to go to make the business into some huge great behemoth of a business. I'd, I want to keep it very, very focused on what we do. Um, we've got some ideas for other stuff we want to do in the future. But for now, um, that's what we're concentrating on delivering. Is, uh, and delivering that and serving the clients that we've got really well. Yeah, okay. And how did you, I mean, you've just said that the, the businesses are sort of 18 months old. Uh, so, you know, I mean, going into lockdown and coronavirus and everything, I mean, it's 18-month-old business. That's pretty, pretty key. <laughs> um, and, and I know that's affecting a lot of us. And I know we've had a conversations about furloughing staff and, and all sorts of things, which we may get into in, into this or, or we may not. But what did you do before that? So 18 months so, is a new business. It's probably best if I go all the way back to the <laughs> start of my career. So I worked on the tools. Um, I worked on tools on sites as a labourer. Um, a friend of the family's dad was a fencer. Um, so I started working for him at weekends and stuff when I was still doing stuff at school. Um, I, had, I think I had five jobs when I was at school. I did bottling up in a pub. I washed dishes. So I bottled up every morning from six till seven. Then I washed dishes on a Thursday, Friday and Saturday night. I had three paper rounds and I backed in lorries at a transport cab. So I've always had always had a really strong work ethic and I think the reason for that is because that's where I've that's where I've built relationships um I moved I was born in Birmingham I moved from there when I was eight when my dad got a promotion at work so I had to reset all my friendships and try and build new friendships with people at eight years old um which was quite tough um I got bullied quite a lot not that I dwell on it um but it's a fact it happened um and to the people that did it if you're listening I hope you're smashing your life as well as I am Thank you. Wow. Um, then when I was 13, I moved again. I moved from Bristol then to Wing in Buckinghamshire. Um, and at 13 years old, if you've ever read the book Raising Boys, it's a really, really challenging point in your life as a young lad. Um, didn't really kind of, I've made, made a couple of friends, 
um, but didn't really feel like I felt in. I fitted in. So the fact that I could go and go to work and I felt valued and I built friendships and relationships with people, for me, that was kind of like a bit of salvation, if I'm honest. Yeah. So, so I loved that. And, you know, I got rewarded by working hard. So for me, that was like, this is great. Why would I not want to do more of it? So I left school, um, went, did some management training at Langs for a little while, not very long, didn't really like that too much. Um, went back on the tools and, and I just loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, a friend of the family, um, their partner was a QS and said to me that you can't just dig holes and put scaffolding up all your life. You, you know, you've got a brain. It's, it's a waste of your brain. And I was like, and that was me. Do you know what? That was exactly me. Why not? Well, I'm a big <laughs> Why not? Um, and that, I was sitting in the van one day on a job and I'll never forget. I can still see the job now. And it was pouring with rain and we were on price work. So we weren't earning any money. Um, but it was just, I don't know. We just, that's what you did. I was like, there might be some truth in that. I'm going to look into it. So I looked into it. I spoke to um, a guy, David, I can't think of his surname. Now I can see his face. It will come back to me in a minute in a real random kind of brain fart probably. Yeah. Um, I went and had a chat with Barnfield College and I did my ONC. Um, and it was really good because I actually made some friends that I'm still connected with now. So the guy that does my safety, Chris Lawrence, we met at college nearly 30 years ago. Um, and we've sort of, we've stayed friends ever since. There's been periods when we've not seen each other too much. Um, so, so I did, I did that. I was still digging holes. Um, and then I probably another couple of years later, I was like, I was on site. It was pouring with rain. It was snowing. You couldn't see to mark anything out. Every time you sprayed the sitting out, out, the snow came down and covered it. <laughs> I was like, it's 11 o'clock and I haven't earned anything. The site manager sitting in his office wouldn't come out. I was like, well, at least he's getting paid. Maybe there might be some sense in there. So I thought, okay. So I spoke to this family friend and he said, look, just write a CV. Well, probably about six months before that, I'd done a job for a guy and um, put like a massive long boundary fence all the way around three sides of his garden. And he couldn't pay me, um, which didn't happen too often. But this guy was a branch manager at Costa. And when I knocked his door to get paid at the end of a job, he said, come in. He said, I can't pay you, but you can have this. And he gave me two things. <laughs> and they're not big pearls of wisdom. One was a coffee machine that looked like it belonged on the counter at Costa. It was absolutely no use to me at all because it was like about 400 kilos. I couldn't even <laughs> his front door. And the other thing was a computer. And it was a proper old school. Do you remember the tower that was like yeah. tower that went under the desk and yeah. a monitor that was about four foot six wide? It looked like yeah. a block of concrete. Um, I didn't have much use for that either because I didn't. <laughs> all my coursework I'd written by hand, um, and I think actually that served me really well because I've since found that that's my preferred learning style preference is I write stuff down. It's why I make yeah. copious amounts of notes in meetings and stuff. Um, so he gave me this computer. It sat in my dad's study for a couple of years. I didn't use it. So I had to use this computer. So I typed out a CV and I sent it to, to this new business that I'd never heard. I didn't even know they existed called a recruitment consultant. Like, What's one of them? So, so Andrew sent me the details for this company. I said, just send this guy an email. Well, I didn't have an email account. So I sent them by post to my CV and he rang me and said, look, we've got you four interviews. And I said, sorry, I think you got the wrong number. I said, I'm the guy that's sending you my CV. Like, he was like, no, this is Richard, isn't it? I was like, yeah. So I was like, you can't have it. And he said, no, we have seriously. So I was like, okay. So we had a chat, and one of the guys that was subbing fencing work off for was a little bit of a developer, but a back garden developer. So he'd buy a house, split the garden off. So 
not only did I do the, the fencing, but I'd done some scaffolding stuff. But by working with this guy, I kind of I knew what all the trades were, and I'd seen where the jobs had kind of not gone so well, yeah. and what the common sort of challenges were. Because he did, he did about twenty of these twenty of these a year, so there was a fair kind of run rate. And um, so I went for this interview at this company in, in Bishop Stortford. And I'll never forget, I was 15 minutes late because I'd, I'd looked at the map because sat-nav didn't exist. So I'd looked on the map and worked out how long it was going to take. I was on site before I went there. So I literally took my old, like, muddy, dirty clothes off, put a suit on, got there, and the guy said, oh, oh you'll have to wait because the guy that you're going to see um, has had to leave. We're going to arrange someone else to see you. So I saw someone else. Um, and then the agents, I left thinking, not really sure how this has gone because there was no kind of like, I suppose now what I would know, understand about body language, there was no like real sort of like buying signals. There wasn't really any rapport, not that I knew what any of them things were at the time, um, but I certainly didn't feel any. It was very much a kind of like, I've got some close questions, I'm going to ask you these and I'm going to whistle through this as quick as possible. It was almost like proper old school where HR is an absolute inconvenience to the day job not let's invest some time in this and get it right. It was a shit, we've got to do an interview. So so I did that, I came out, and I was driving back around the M25, and the guy from the agency around me said they want me to start on Monday. And I nearly crashed. I was like, what? what you I said, I couldn't even answer two of the questions, but the others I talked about, about quite a bit. So to cut a long story short, I accepted the job offer um, and started on or, and agreed to start on the Monday. So I went went back to see my mum and dad. My dad was at work, and my mum said, you won't last a week. They'll work out that you're not a qualified site manager. I was like, mum, I get, I get a digital camera and a mobile phone that I don't have to pay for. For last a week, that'll do. It's a start somewhere. So I started. The QS on my job um, was ill. So I was given three projects to run, um, and ironically, one of them is actually at the base of um, Grenfell Tower. Oh, wow. Through the block opposite Grenfell Tower, um, Robinson House. Um, right. So we, we did a massive um, half a million pound refurbishment on that. We did another block owned by the same housing association, the other side of Shepherd's Bush, and then one for Bedford Estates in the middle of town. Um, the QS was ill, so I had to sort out the final account. So I didn't even know what final account was. I was like, what do you mean? What is it? What's the final account? Oh, we just need to work out how much we owe them. I've got 50% on this one job. How do I know how much we owe them? So I sat down and I literally, and I think it was probably what served me quite well was because I had had my own businesses, albeit I wasn't a limited company, I was a sole trader, but I'd employed labour, I'd bought materials, I'd worked out yeah. what my costs were, what I could charge, what was the market rate, what what I could charge as my sales value. So I've kind of done that, but in a more kind of rudimentary kind of like Benson Energy's fag packet kind of way. Yeah. So, so I just took that kind of logic to all of the things we've done. What, what should we be charging for and what haven't we done? I went, went and met the client and agreed the account, came back, and the chairman rang me and said, how did you get on? And I told him, and he was like, that's better than we thought we were going to get. Okay. So <laughs> six months later, they made me contracts manager, um, which was like, what? So I finished my college. They made me contracts manager, um, and I was given three or four projects that were really sort of rough, really challenging. Um, there were a couple of other people within the business that had been kicked out and or given the kind of the hero to zero kind of treatment, if you like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is another way to describe it, but we'll stick with hero to zero. Yeah. Um, so I inherited some of their, some of their projects. Um, 
and just really through working with the client to, I don't know, I kind of, I've always had this thing. If you can get on with the people you're working with and understand what they want out of the relationship, you stand a far better chance of delivering it. Now, I'm not perfect. I didn't even know what any of that stuff was called. It was, I just thought it would be a recipe to, to not screw things up, if you like. Yeah. Um, and to do the best for the company. Cause, and it's really weird. I'm sitting here now. I'm four, nearly 43 years old, and this is 20 years ago. And do you know what? I still feel the same kind of level of indebtedness to that business that I did then for giving me the opportunity to prove myself. Um, so I just did the best I could, and they, they were really happy with that. I finished my college. That went okay. Um, so I stayed as contracts manager for about about three years, I think, about three, three and a half years. There were a few different internal sort of repositioning, restructures, um, and then I got promoted to operations manager when the operations manager left because he wanted to relocate to Cornwall. Um, still in touch with him. He's a really, really, really nice guy, actually. I learned a lot from him. Um, a new MD was brought in um, from outside of the sector. Um, she'd worked, I believe she'd worked at a, I think it was a bingo business before that, or like a gambling business, like, but, but a national. Um, her, she would have been the first person, and she did on several occasions say, I don't know the first thing about construction. Um, but she knew about people. Yeah. What she knew about managing teams and leading people through challenging circumstances, you know, I learned more from her, and it makes me go cold and shiver thinking back. Thinking back about it now, I learned so much from that lady. I owe her such a debt. Um, we and we, you know, when we had some, <laughs> we had some really great banter as well because she was a really good leader in terms of you know getting people to. So one of the things that I struggled with was presenting and it wasn't pitching. This was when you've done, a, you've submitted a tender and you've got to go and do an interview. So she would have little techniques for, for just injecting some humor, like stupid stuff. Like, right. She would come up with a random word. You've got to get into a pitch somehow. <laughs> and and it, but it was completely like, yep. okay. Like once it was like fish paste, fish paste. We're talking about like an 800,000 pound, like external texture. And we've got to talk about the word fish paste. And it was that she had a real good way of helping people to be calm, comfortable. Um, and I'll never forget, it was, we were sitting in a meeting once and it was the first time I'd ever heard the words team dynamics. And it wasn't oh, good. Yeah. She, her words yeah. were, I think the dynamics of this meeting is shit. We really, <laughs> we really need to work on your leadership. Um, but I wanted to get that in because that fits with, with your podcast. So, you know, it hasn't always been perfect. I'm not the best leader of people, far from it. Um, I've had moments that have been really great and I've had moments that have been um, really shocking. So we looked at doing a management buyout uh, for various reasons that didn't happen, which was a real shame because um, there, I think there was about 10, 10 of us on the SMT at the time that were all vested into it, all signed up, wanted to do it. Um, and unfortunately, the chairman decided that because um, we were going to basically use some bank financing to fund it, um, albeit we had to sign lots of guarantees and stuff. It was yeah. bank backed. Um, he didn't feel that it was appropriate for us to take on that risk. Um, why? Well, what I've since found out was that actually it wasn't necessarily about that. It was about the fact that we would have had to grow the business to repay that. Um, and there was some. I think there was some personal challenges for for certainly for for other people around allowing that growth to happen. Um, so I left 
I was really disenchanted, disenchanted, disheartened by it all. So I left and I did. Um, I worked at Rock for a few weeks until I worked out that that was a car crash just waiting to happen. And every Monday they just seemed to go up a gear towards the car crash and the inevitable pain. Um, and then I got headhunted by a venture capitalist who bought up distressed building companies um, to go and run a couple of businesses for him. One in East London. Um, this is interesting. So how how do you think you got headhunted? How did you build? So you must have built your reputation within the first company. Yeah. To be to be. So how how did you do that? How um how do I don't? It wasn't something I did consciously. Um, I've got pretty okay. strong values. I've got you know, I had quite not. I wouldn't say a strict upbringing, but. You know, we've we've got family morals and family values that are quite, let's just say, reinforced is probably the most appropriate way to describe them. Um, by always trying to be honest about where things are at, um, I think I learned a lot of valuable lessons when I was on the tools that I've always tried to remember when dealing with people and when dealing with subcontractors. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always tried to be fair, and I've but sometimes you need to be firm but fair, um, and that was where the actual recommendation came from. The recommendation, um, the the subcontractor whose account that had been quite challenging, um, basically had used this guy as an accountant before, and they they got chatting over actually um, different people within the industry. He was looking for a recommendation, um, and this subby put my name forward. Um, Do you know what? It's really I find this really interesting because we. And I know we've sort of had this conversation about, um, you know, the posts on LinkedIn and who sees them and who doesn't and all the rest of it. The whole time we are out there doing whatever it is we're doing, however we're doing whatever it is we're doing, people are watching and people are taking note. And whether we know they're taking note or not, they are. And we're making an impression on them, good and bad. Yeah. with whatever we're doing this you know i've been talking to people about this since i was oh, for a very long time over three decades actually and some people got it immediately about you know you could be walking along a supermarket from one at one end of one aisle to the other end of the aisle and somebody sees you crossing the gap and they get an impression from that yeah. they don't have to be face to face you don't even have to see them it's really it's, this is this is vital and really this is vital and really good stuff to get out as a message to people we don't know who's watching us ever no we don't at all and it's really so, weird because yeah so so i did that um the businesses in chingford um was they basically hadn't bought what they thought they bought they thought they bought a business with a five-year pipeline um of partner a partnering arrangement with a big um, it, they don't exist anymore but it was one of the big G15 housing associations um, and the, cha the challenge came about I won't go into too much detail but essentially the, it was a pound deal um, so oh right okay pound deal there was yeah. a lot of due diligence done because obviously yeah. it's people's attitude to risk changes massively depending on the purchase price yeah. uh, when we started unpacking some of the stuff it became quite apparent they didn't have, any, didn't have a lot of work so very quickly, I had to sort out all of the typical sort of standard accreditations, um, all of the quality assurance. Um, and this was a biz business that was sort of started in the 50s, and it was very much a owner-operated. They were good builders, but they weren't the best at like back office stuff. Yeah. So we had to sort of go out, find a load of new clients. We had to sort out all the accreditations. Um, 
we've got the business back onto a really good solid platform with a really good pipeline. Um, but at the same time, the, the venture capitalist that also bought businesses in Bristol and up north in Rainford in St. Helens, um, which is a massive story, which made a big impact on my life. Um, so I was asked to be a director of a business in Bristol, um, which we were in the process of sorting out, but never actually got to that point. Um, I was asked to become a director of a business up in Rainford and take over running that as well. Um, and the intention was that I'd kind of sort of split my time half and half. And at the time, I was really young, thought, you know what, yeah, why not life on the open road, love it. Um, went up there, had a look at it. Um, to be honest, within about the first three hours, I was starting to get kind of like alarm bells ringing. Um, I walked into the accounts and said, can you run me off the debtors and creditors? And they looked at me like I'd just asked them for a Spanish omelette. It was worrying. Um, so I had a conversation with them. And, you know, there's a chapter in my book that I'm, that I'm writing about this, actually. And I, I had a chat with the estimator and said to him, so, so in terms of how, how do you actually, how deep or shallow is your overhead cut? Um, how do you factor into your tenders? And he went, what? What are you on about? I've read. Um, oh. It was another big alarm bell. Um, but to cut a long story short, within 72 hours, um, I had to call in an administrator, um, which was really hard because there was 100 staff or close to 100 staff. Um, so I had to sit down with all of them personally and talk to them. Um, there was about, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there was close, getting close to £10 million pounds worth of subcontracts and supplier liabilities when you threw in um, HMRC as well. Um, I spoke to each of the biggest, um, I think I spoke to the biggest, I'm going cold now, I think about it, the biggest 25 um, subcontractor accounts. Some of them were like getting towards three, four hundred thousand pound accounts. Um, oh, no. to, uh, massive sums of money. Um, so, um, and then the Icelandic bank, there were some issues with Svenska Handels Banking, where they had some issue with the amount of losses they'd sustained. And they basically decided they didn't really like construction very much. So they decided to invoke all of the guarantees. And as clients were putting money into the business bank accounts, the level of headroom was coming down on the account. So it was, being, it was like pound for pound. It wasn't, there was no sort of like grace period. Um, so basically the whole group came crashing down. <coughs> um, in the last sort of three weeks, I put getting on for 50 grams worth of materials on site of my own money. Um, some of which I took out of my bank without my ex-wife knowing, um, and some of it on credit cards. So, um, so yeah, so at the end of that, I was left without a job, having absolutely busted my balls to rebuild the business in Chingford over the course of the previous sort of 12, 14 months. Um, and with a load of money, I mean, I ended up, I think it ended up owing me about 30 grand, just under 30,000. Um, so I was left with quite a stark choice. Uh, there wasn't a lot of management jobs around. I felt like my, I was, I felt I was in the gutter. I felt like I'd put everything up on offer to make it, su make it successful. How, how old were you at that point? Um, how old was I? I was 30, 31, 32. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, about that. Yeah, 30. Yeah, very, very, very early 30s, if not 30. Um, yeah, I was not in a good place. So I went back on the tools. I went back. I went back to like old school. What cannot let me down? Because I've yeah. tried really hard. I've worked really hard, and that's not worked. So do you know what? 
if I go and dig some holes, if I dig it and it's in the wrong place, that's on me, that's not on anyone else. But I know I'll get paid for it. So so I did that. And it's, do you know what? It talked about life's weird circumstances. So I've been back on the tools for, for probably about a year. Um, they loved the fact that I was back because <coughs> I was always a top earning subby. And there's a subby working for us. A, a, as a labour only subby working for a subcontractor, if you're earning money, they're earning money because that's yeah. the way it's worth. Yeah. They loved the fact that I was back. Their quality had come up because I, I still took the same attitude, do it right, do it once. And it's and I was on a roof on Friday, actually, and I was talking to one of our guys, and he was like, why are you using a bevel to cut that? And it's just a bit of insulation board. I said, you do it right, you do it once. You do it wrong, you do it at least twice. Um, can you can you get that message out to every builder on the planet, please? <laughs> I'd like to. Oh. So I've been back on the tools for about a year. Um, I got up. I was working on a job about I don't know three three and a half hours away. None of the other games wanted to touch it. It was a three hour drive. I was like, oh, I'll go there, mate. It's, it's just miles. It's not a problem. They were paying for our fuel anyway. And I got up and I was brushing my teeth at the sink and I took my phone out of my dressing gown and put it on the side and I phoned my old contracts director, completely randomly, um, like a pocket call. And I was like, shit, shit. So I stopped it, stopped the call. And um, I just sent him a text saying, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to, it was a pocket call, hope you well. Anyway, about nine o'clock that morning, he rang me and I was like, what does he want? I'm on site, I'm on price work, I'm trying to dig holes, I'll talk to him later. <laughs> I rang him back at lunchtime and uh, we just had a bit of a catch up about where he was at. He'd, then, he'd left the business and was now set up on his own as a consultant, as a cost consultant. Um, and he says to me, what are you doing? You're just wasting your brain. Yeah, you might be earning money, but you could be doing a lot better with yourself. The skills you've got, you need to leverage those skills. Um, so he asked me to do some freelance stuff for him. Um, so I went and did that, which was basically, he was he was a cost consultant, but he was working for clients. So he had a client who had a load of work that they needed some cost advice on and procurement advice. So I went for a couple of days in his office doing that, doing some estimating, drawing up some logistics programs um, for a couple of jobs, excuse me. Um, and the company who the tenders were for wanted to have a, a discussion about how we'd reached our price. So we had to go for a meeting. Um, went for a meeting with them down in Essex, and we, I just instantly got a sense of rapport within two or three minutes. Um, had a really good chat with the MD, um, talked through what, how we'd approach putting the bid together. And then I think it was like that afternoon or the next day, the guy said to the bloke I was subbing off of, look, I want, I want this guy in my business as a, as a freelance QS. So I was like, okay. So we had a conversation about it and I ended up doing, it was meant to be doing like two days a week. Within a week, it was like, right, we want you five days a week. Um, so, so I was doing that. They were originally asking me to look at a job in Worthing. Um, once I'd got that sorted out for them, um, it very, they asked me to look at another job up in North London because the main contractors QS had got some concerns about their account. Um, so I went and had a look and I kind of, it was a bit of an audit, but like an internal level audit. Yeah. And what it, what it threw up was that this project was meant to be making them 300 grand and they were going to lose 450. How does it go that awry? That's horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> so, Whoa. so I so I rang the guy and said, look, um, I'm going to send you this report, but I don't just want to just drop this into your email inbox. Uh, you've got a shot coming. Uh, we need to have a chat about it. 
Um, so he said, well, what's the like helicopter view? So I gave him the helicopter view over the phone, and it was like Friday afternoon at like four o'clock or whatever. So I, was, I was on site in North London, and I was going out that evening because um, that was when I had a social life. <laughs> and um, not, I don't anymore. Um, and he was like, no, you need to come to the office. So I drove, drove over to the office, and I went through it and explained to him, and he said, well, that all sounds really sensible. Okay. He said, do you need some more time to drill down into some of the numbers? And I said, well, some of them, yeah, because I've had to put provisions in there for different stuff. I said, but they're pretty, they're reasonably accurate. You know, it's roughly going to cost you. They're based on given industry sort of average prices. So, he's, so he then said, well, spend the next week with the QSs on the job and go through and put some, like, build some, like, muscles onto that skeleton. So we did that, and um, a meeting was arranged for the following Friday, and he invited this other QS who'd been running the job for nine months. So we had to sit there, and basically I had to sit there and roll out this report of where the guy had gone wrong, which was horrible. It was a really awful thing to do. I felt really, really... I really felt for the guy, and it was it was harder because the bloke had nothing in his locker to come out with. He just sat in silence, and, and every time he was challenged about, well, this guy's Richard's telling me that this package is going to cost us 50 grand. What do you think about that? He just couldn't, he didn't have any answers. And it, it wasn't a nice environment to be in. It's, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind confrontation. Sometimes it's necessary, but I don't like it. I don't thrive on it. Um, and it was awful to see this guy who clearly knew how much trouble he was in, but just boxed himself into a corner. Um, so we, we kind of worked our way through that. We took quite a strong stance with some of the accounts that we had to deal with. Um, and we ended up, we did a deal with the client. We built, I built, so they basically asked me to stay on site for the remainder of the scheme full time. Um, right. I built really good rapport with the QS, with the contracts, with the project manager, the site manager, and the contracts director. Um, and we managed to get it turned around to only losing 100,000, which I could have lost 100 grand, but it was a massive, massive, a lot better than it could have, than it should have been. Um, so. They were quite pleased with that. But the bigger piece out of that was that when when some of those people left that business, they went to go and work somewhere else. They rang me up and offered me seven million quid worth of work because they liked the way that I'd approached the account. And they liked the fact that I'd been firm but fair. They liked the way that I'd dealt with the supply chain. Um, and we ended up over the course of probably about two and a half years doing about 15 million pounds worth of work for that client. It was all negotiated as a result of a relationship. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I'm not sure I know quite how to say this, but when you, when you build a relationships, you get much more from them longer term. When you don't, when you, when people go in for the quick win, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't work. It comes back and bites them. But when you go in with, good intent good values good ethics good morals um you know the, with the truth you know firm but fair but with the truth this is going to cost you four hundred and fifty thousand. Mm. when you was expecting to do a 300k profit you can't hide the truth you well people can hide the truth but it comes out eventually it, does, it has a way of coming out it yeah. will come out yeah you can't I mean, you may be able to hide it for a week or two weeks, but somewhere along the line, it's going to come out. Uh, and I have this real, you've got to walk towards whatever the thing is that's affecting you or affecting your business or affecting your relationship or just affecting something. You've got to walk towards it. 
Because mm. the sooner you walk towards it, the sooner you can deal with it, mend it, put it right, whatever it is. If you just brush it under the carpet, it's, an, it's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, so much of it goes on though. Brené Brown's got oh. a really good phrase that she talks yeah. about, and that's to lean into the discomfort. Yeah. It's far less painful, and it's far less likely to knock you over if you yeah. lean into it than if you lean stand upright or lean backwards. So. Well, see, so, see my, my phrase being me is walk towards the thing. Just walk yeah. towards it. Yeah, exactly. Something will happen. <laughs> yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so, I let, so I stayed there for about three years, um, and then I was ill. I, it was making me ill. It was I was leaving home at four every morning, um, driving probably it was about ninety miles, I think, mainly M twenty five. I'd get up, get I'd put my runners on, jump in the car, drive there. I'd run. Um, the office was in the middle of an industrial estate, so I'd go for a run for like 40, 30, 40 minutes, um, jump in the shower, and then be at my desk for six, um, work all day, and then uh, the office hours were till six, and then like do the M25 back. Um, and I ended up getting rushed to hospital, therefore I was having a heart attack. Yeah. So that was my foray into not being very well. So, so I was off for a couple of weeks, and then... I had a chauffeur. I actually had a chauffeur, but probably about four months. Every day, this guy was come come around at five o'clock in the morning with my cup of tea, and his big seven series BMW, pull up outside and take me back to Essex for the day um, because it was and I, it was the way the business was structured. They needed my input into a lot of stuff. It's not a vanity thing. It's not me being big headed. Uh, they needed the commercial input that I provided. Um, yeah. Well, they need a it level of work. expertise. Yeah, it didn't work. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't sustainable. Um, so I decided that actually, no, I don't know. So did you did you get any warning signs? <laughs> um, yeah, if I'm honest, I had a couple of a couple of spells when um, we went out for dinner and I didn't feel great. Um, there was a couple of times when I had pains in my chest and just I don't know. I just think I did the typical bloke thing and just ignored it um and then there was one particular i went out for dinner i can't remember it was a family occasion we went out for dinner with my parents and there was a few of us at the meal um and i came back and it felt i kid you not you know the ratchet straps they tie loads onto lorries with it yep. felt like i got one of them around my chest and someone was doing the clamp up and it was yep. just ratcheting it so i got um my wife called the paramedics um, they gave me warfarin and morphine at, on site and then blue light me to hospital um which I didn't know anything about. For her, it was probably one of the, I mean, she's an ex-police officer with 20 years in, but it was probably one of the scariest things she's seen. Um, yeah, it wasn't nice. Um, so there were some warning signs and I, I chose to ignore them. And I think the thing that I've learned in more recent years um, through another failed management buyout that I spent a lot of like human cost investing in um, don't ignore the signals. And it's a chapter yeah. in my book I'm writing at the moment about signals and it's called traffic lights. Um, you need to pay attention. Your body is there and it's telling you, it's giving you messages. Listen to yeah. those messages. Yeah. I've just, I mean, I know we talked about this um, briefly before, but I've just written a book called Stress the Reality. Um, and I know I said to you, none of us, apart from the healthy stress, which is life-saving, none of us need to experience the negative insidious effects of stress that a lot of us do. But what we have to do, one of the things we have to do is um, start to listen to our bodies because our body will tell us 
Yeah, massively. Our body will, will without doubt tell us, and it doesn't matter how old we are, what gender we are, um, how experienced we are, because the insidious, how our body changes when we're under pressure that we perceive as a threat, our body does it. We can't control that. It's totally um, involuntary, yeah. Yeah, totally involuntary. And the longer we keep ourselves in the situation, the greater damage it does. And, and ultimately, it kills us if yeah. we don't do something about it. Hmm. Um, and going to the doctors and getting the antidepressants and getting the two weeks off work, for some people, it puts them into an environment that's causing the pressure, which is at home. Yeah. And for others, even if you get the two weeks off or the month off or whatever, and then you get your chauffeur, which is absolutely fabulous that, you know, the organisation looked after you, you go straight back into the same situation. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't deal with the thing that's causing the stress. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. So, is that when you left and you've set up your own firm? Is that? No. Did that oh. So the plot, so the plot <laughs> thickens. So, so I decided that I would leave. Um, I got offered a job at a regional contractor um, where I was there for about six weeks, I think, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and there were some issues with how some of their commercials and numbers stacked up. Um, and it wasn't really a very good fit. Um, they do primarily new build stuff. I've done so. I did some for a little while when I was at Langs, but not really. Um, I didn't really want to be there, so we part. We agreed that we would agree to part company. Um, and then Kenyans asked me to go back. Um, they'd got some jobs that were they were, um, they'd massively downsized after the last recession, but they'd got some projects that were a bit distressed that they were struggling with getting handed over. Um, so I went back freelance, um, sorted those out, um, and again, built really good relationships with some of the yeah. clients that they've got. Um, so we ended up um, agreeing for me to stay full-time. Um, that then, in turn, very quickly sort of turned into a directorship. Um, some of the clients that we were working with asked us to put to nominate ourselves for awards, which we did, um, which was really good. That was interesting, a whole different sort of circle of stuff that you had to learn about. Um we got to three days before we were going to sign off the paperwork to sign the management buyout, and I tore my bicep off. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, I literally. It, I was mad. I, was, I didn't even lift anything. I pushed a box of floor tiles. We were in the middle of doing our house up, and um, I pushed a box of floor tiles forward, and my whole bicep just tore off. My arm, instead of being like that, went like that. Ah. Yeah, the other way. So, yeah. So, and it was, re it was really bizarre because it was like, it was a Friday night. It was, I don't know, nine o'clock or so. So it was like, I was in, I blacked out and then came around. Um, the children were at home. <laughs> so Gemma that needed to stay at home with the kids. So I got a taxi to hospital. Oh, God. Um, yeah, literally got a cab to hospital, um, got taken straight in, put on morphine, um, and then I got seen by the NHS. Do you know what? We're absolutely amazing. I've got nothing yeah. to praise for them, whether it's my yeah. UC treatment or A&E, they've always been great. Yeah, um, I agree. So I, I, I got seen by a consultant. I got told to come back on the Monday. It was a massive like car accident locally, so my surgery got bumped, which was like the longest I've ever gone without food, I think. So went back the next day, had surgery for what was meant to be six hours that turned into nine hours. Um, <laughs> Oh, it, was a it was a nightmare. They really struggled to sew the, sew the muscle back onto my arm. Um, 
had free casts in two days because they kept the cast kept moving because it was like the swelling was so bad. My whole arm was black. Um, so yeah, that was really challenging. And then went back, went back home, worked from home. Um, albeit was on an awful lot of meds. Um, and then the company decided they didn't want to pay my wages after the first month, even though I was working at home. So the company that I was going to buy with a business partner who was one of the people that was involved decided they weren't going to pay me. Um, oh, yeah, so that's we had, not good. We had a bit of a frank conversation about loyalty and about values, um, <laughs> which was more of a heated argument than a, than a conversation. Um, <laughs> not surprised. Said, do, you know what? do you know what? Find that place where you don't put stuff very often and go and poke it right there. <laughs> so, so I decided that, do you know what? Actually, I'm not sure that this is really for me. Um, and at the same time, bizarrely, but a subcontractor that I'd worked for on that job that had gone really badly wrong, that I'd changed from 400 to 100,000, yeah. always said to me, if ever you want a job, come and talk to me. And I'd, I'd stayed in touch with a guy just by like an odd sort of, you know how you do professionally, just like a random text every now and again. Um, and he texts me just completely randomly out of the blue, just saying, happy Christmas, hope everything's all right. Um, I'm looking for an ops manager, and I really like the type of work you do. Uh, would you be interested? So we had a chat, um, agreed that I could maybe add some value to his business and I could learn the reactive maintenance stuff because uh, that's not a, not a work stream I've ever been directly delivering. Um, I'd subbed it out to specialists. Um, so we did a deal and I went to start work for him. And then it quite quickly became apparent that some of their projects weren't as weren't the way they needed to be. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but there were a few challenges um, and I'm not someone that ever walks away from a challenge. So if something needs dealing with, I'll call it out and I'll deal with it. Um, and I did on a couple of occasions, both of which I was extremely grateful for. Um, and we sat down to do my PDP. Um, and my two biggest things were, well, my biggest massive thing was overcoming fear of public speaking. So there was a conversation about maybe that Stoney should join a book club in the local pub and read about a book. To which I said... That's not my style. So two weeks later, I went to the National Housing Federation working conference, um, and they said, look, at the next year's conference, we're going to um, do a contractor forum about the right size, right, picking the right type of contractor, but we need four people to do it. And I don't know what happened. I just went like that. Something involuntary within me just went... <laughs> you, do, you don't know what happened. Of course you know what happened. You walked towards... You walked towards the thing that was scaring you. Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> so, so I walked towards the thing that was scaring me and then spent the next <laughs> probably four weeks thinking, oh, my word, what have I done? Um, and we were, we were away at Centre Parks with the family and I was sitting talking to my wife in front of the fire and I said, look, I really need to do something to, to help me overcome this. So she put me in touch with a guy she'd worked with um, who's a hostage negotiator called Andy Rivers. Um, and I did some like, amazing stuff. I mean, he, you know, you talk about people that start your journey into something. He started yeah. my journey into coaching. We still talk most days now. He's a lovely fella. Um, and he gave me the toolkit that I needed to be able to do that. So, so there was all sorts of, like, it was a proper choppy ride. I mean, the night before, uh, and our slide pack was finalised two months before the event. The night before, one of the guys pulled out. So we had to completely tip the slide deck upside down and I ended up doing completely different slides. Um, 
and it was it was to, it was like a three-hour event. So the first part was a presentation, and the second part was a round table. So to make it fair, and you know what networking events are like, people fall to yep. their own click. So to combat yep. that, we gave everyone a piece of coloured card when they walked in to to stop that happening. Yeah. When I was on the door the next morning, now having had no sleep, rewriting, relearning this slide deck, we stood on the door, handing out bits of card, and who walks in but the QS who was on my first job when I did that training back at Langs when I was 17. <laughs> what slides am I talking about? I'm talking about commercials and quantities, man. <laughs> so I'm thinking, not only have I got a new set of slides, I'm talking about something I know a lot about, I'm quite happy to talk about it, but now I've got this kind of like absolute God QS bloke sitting yeah. front front centre stage who's going to listen to everything I said so anyway so so we did it we delivered it um, it went really well people were really positive we went into the bar afterwards and the feedback was just was really good um, but it quite quickly became apparent um, that there were a few uh, differences I think in perhaps how I felt about things how other people felt about things so I had a conversation with my boss and said look where do we sit with this, you know? Um, and without going into loads of details, we agreed. Um, again, with me taking like the sort of the front foot and saying, look, we need to fix this, um, that I would leave. So that day I left um, and it's now water under the bridge. We still, you know, he looks at all my content on LinkedIn. We still speak. Uh, we've seen each other at events. And, you know, I wish, I wish them every success and I know they do me. Um, so there's no sort of like hard feelings, but yeah, it was kind of a like, okay, what am I going to do now? So I rang my wife on the way home from the office and said, look, I'm on garden leave. This is what's happening. And she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I just want to get, get home right now. And she said, well, why don't you start up on your own? You've always said about doing it. Now's the time. If ever there was a time to do it, then now is that time. So, yeah. so I rang my coach and was like, okay. I said, well, Let's have a chat. Let's meet for breakfast because I do love a cooked breakfast. Um, so we met for breakfast the next day, and he said, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, it's quite simple." I said, "We've set, we've decided on a company name. We've set up a limited company. We've bought the website. The website's now being built. The domain's sorted. I've got three clients. We start work tomorrow, except for the fact that I'm gardening for three months." And he was like, "What?" <laughs> and the rest, really. It's history. It's history. So. It's interesting. It's interesting. But you can't... It's that whole thing, isn't it, about how you've built the relationships right the way from digging holes when you first started to even, you know, being put on garden leave and still maintaining a relationship with the, with the people right the way through that actually allows you to set up your own business and have three clients in the first day because you've got... Well, it sounds to me like you've got a good reputation out there and you've worked around. I'm going to say, I'm going to probably doesn't sound quite right, but you've worked around enough so that people actually do know who you are. Mm. But while they know who you are, you've also built the good reputation with people knowing who you are and whether they, whether you can work with them in their business or not, they actually know that what you do gets best, gets good results. Yeah. They get so, the outcome that they want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, I think that's all we, all of us can ever do in anything we do. Um, I'm going to bring you back to something if, you, if I can. Um, I saw one of your posts on LinkedIn a little while ago 
And um, it was around mental health. You've briefly touched on it as, as you've been speaking through your sort of story. But you said something about as if an 18 year old, if an 18 stone builder can talk about it, <laughs> then anybody can. Um, and I sort of applaud you on that. And you also mentioned something about that you, you've got, um, you go to see a counsellor or a therapist or something. And right the way throughout what you've just said about you and, and how you've got to where you are and you know, like who you are, you've mentioned about coaches, you've mentioned about mentors, you've mentioned accessing people's information. You said your wife introduced you to the guy that used to do the negotiation. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in, within you, through all of that, you've learned that you, the coaches help, that mentors help, that A, there is something called mental health. Um, you've experienced some not great health issues because of stress and recognising that you've gone through that and actually probably recognising that you didn't listen to your body. But you, And then you've also mentioned about you have a counsellor or a therapist. Could you talk a bit about that? Because A, it's part of my world and there's a specific reason why I'm asking. A, it's part of my world, um, and it's something I've dealt with with people for a long time. I'm not counsellor or therapist, but I deal with a lot of leaders and managers in business who are experiencing mental health and stress and don't realise it and see it as a weakness to talk about it. And you're a guy in in a trade that is, for want of a better word, macho generally, um and a lot of builders i've known in the past so i've i've also you know bought developed properties even before i was in property so i bought for myself i've always been around the trades and whether it be mechanics or builders that like trades type um people and i know a lot of them had issues they wouldn't talk about them and i've never forced anything on anybody but they wouldn't talk about them they wouldn't do anything about them about it and i knew that if they did they would have been far more successful they'd have been far happier they'd have been far healthier can you talk a little bit about how you got to where you got knowing that coaches mentors therapists actually help it's not a it's not a negative thing to go and access people for help. It's a positive thing. How did you get there? Okay, so there's two things that I need to say, first of all, or three, yep. actually. Two things, and, and one is a potential apology. So the first two things are, one, that I can only talk about my journey in that yep, several of course. pieces around me. Um, and secondly, I have no qualifications in the subject at all. And the yep. third is that I need to apologise because I might get a bit upset. So I'll try not oh. to, but it's a really powerful subject that's really close to my heart. So Right. Well, I, so, I'll say one thing in advance. I... I'm perfectly, it's going to sound wrong as well. I'm perfectly happy with you if you get upset. You're, you know, that for me just means you're being absolutely true. You know, you, you, you're being who you are. I mean, I quite openly cry on camera. So I'm, you know, I'm with you on it. Yeah, I'm, that not, makes I'm, sense. Not, I'm not fussed about it. I just, yeah. I wouldn't want okay. to make you feel uncomfortable. And equally, I no. don't want to edit it out. If it's in there, it's in there. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so I can, so my background is my dad works in construction in or did he's now retired. Um, my mum was a, an accounts assistant. Um, they're both kind of like old school attitudes to, to mental health yeah. and that kind of thing. It was never the words were never discussed. It was never mentioned. Yeah, um, same as mine. Um, I I now recognise that 
at the point, I think the first thing that ever happened to me that now thinking back about it was when I left Kenyans when the first management buyout failed. Um, I cried for about two and a half days. I was just done in mentally, physically, emotionally. I had nothing left. I felt like a costume of a person. Um, okay. I felt broken. I felt like I'd literally given everything and it wasn't enough. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I picked myself up, dusted myself off, um, overcame it, and I suppose, and at the time, I didn't have any counselling, I didn't have any coaching. I think I probably just, over the course of a week or so, gave myself probably a bit longer than that, actually. A few sort of stern talkings to, and like, yeah. you've got a family, sort it out. You need to, like, you've got, you're the breadwinner, you've got to provide. Um did it work or didn't it? Well, it got me back into work. I didn't ever deal with any of the stuff that came out of it. So you can pick, you can make your own call as to whether that works or not. Um, when I got divorced, that massively affected my mental health enough that I think that whichever side of a divorce you are, don't ever underestimate the power of it on your mental health. Even yeah. the most, even the most simple of divorces affect people's mental health. Um, then. There's been a few times when, so when I was working in Essex and I was ill, that massively affected my mental health. I had all sorts of stuff going around, going around in my head. Um, how did I cope with it? I'm not proud of how I coped with it. There's lots of things that I did that I probably would do differently. Um, I'm not sure it's wise, but I actually took drugs for a while. Um, and I don't want you to edit that out, it's fine. Um, but I did. Um, that, that didn't help either. Um, no, they don't. They're classified as false friends. Yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Yep. A, a lot of this stuff is. Um, yep. And then when my wife was in the police, office, police force, um, she was... Um, trying to think. I've got to get the timeline right in my head. Um, there were some changes to shift patterns and stuff. Um, and the way that she was treated... Uh, was was appalling and it really really screwed with her mental health she ended up having like a nervous breakdown and ended up with depression and anxiety Uh, just to watch someone that you love have that happen to you have that happen to them and you're you know you're powerless to stop that happening you can't yes you can do yeah um and there's, you know, and this might sound really sort of uh, sexist, ageist, old school, whatever, but as the male kind of like protector of family unit, yeah, this kind of like invisible, much like coronavirus, it's like an invisible thing. You can't see it. You can't, you can't, you can't fix it. That's really hard. Um, and that, I struggled for a while um, with that, um, for quite a while actually. Um, I've got, I've spoken to a few other people who have had challenges that, have ended up in a similar situation and I don't know why have just maybe opened or well, I don't know why they have but they have opened up to me um, and in one of the mentoring groups I'm in over in Ireland um, we were talking about it um, at my first hot so the structure of that group is you do like a hot seat which is like two hours of being like you explaining what your challenges are and where you're at with life, personally and professionally, and then you get grilled on it, and they prop, they really call you out. If it's an ounce of bullshit, they will smell it a mile off. That's called an action. That was what came out, was that I'd always harboured this sort of like sense of guilt about having to shut that company in Liverpool. Or in oh! Uh, when actually, okay. yeah, I, it wasn't, you know, all I was doing was administrating a process 
based on the business being in the same situation. I didn't cause it, it was nothing to do with it, but I yeah. still felt bad. And then that was 12 months ago. So <coughs> for a large part of my life, I'd felt pretty awful about asking to do that to a lot of people. You've carried it with you. Um, yeah. And I spoke quite openly about that. I ended up in tears in front of a group of people I'd never met for about two hours in this hot seat. Um, talked about that, talked about all sorts of stuff. Um, and the one thing that they said was that you ought to, you ought to, think about how you feel about stuff so I thought about it and I thought do you know what actually I need to talk about some of this stuff yeah who do I talk to and I kind of kicked it around for a little while and it kept coming back to kind of like the front of my filing cabinet at the front yeah uh, Julie's smiling because I've got my hand over my head um, <laughs> yeah I have a filing cabinet as well <laughs> and I thought do you know what I'm just going to do it so I just literally typed into google like I can't remember whether I put psychotherapist or counselling near me, found some names, did a little bit of like background, kind of like open source research into who they were um, and thought, do you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go and talk to someone. And I'd heard someone quite famous say that they'd spoken to a counsellor, but it had taken them two or three counsellors to find someone yeah. who was actually any good. Um, and I, I don't know to this day what came over me, so I can only talk you through it as it happened. But I remember sitting there, having booked the appointment, thinking, I really hope this helps me. But how good would it be if it could help someone else? Yeah. And I, I don't know where, where it came from, so I can't tell you because I would be lying if I did. Um, but I got the idea to do a vlog post about it, and I didn't even know at the time that it was called a vlog. I just thought it was a video of yourself that you share on social media. I didn't know it was called a vlog. So I just recorded a video just with me saying, look, tomorrow I'm going to go and get a mental health MOT. I'm going to go and talk to a counsellor. Um, normally we fix other people's buildings. Now it's time to fix me. Yeah. I, I recorded it and then I thought, what about what impact is this going to have on other people? I see my parents occasionally. We, we get on okay. Um, I've got a son who lives with my ex-wife who's... 16 years old if he were to see that and I wasn't under any grand illusions of this is going to go viral and, but if he were to see it how would that affect him to find that out from some random third party and if that, if if he's seen it from a third party that's not going to be shown in a positive light that's not going to be somebody saying oh you better check your dad's okay that's going to be somebody saying oh, look at your you dad so I rang him up and told him what I was going to do and how did he take it? Brave. And he said he'd be really proud of me. <sighs> See, I think... Do you know what? I think there's a... I mean, I haven't got children, so I don't know. Um, I haven't got children, so I don't know. But I think there's, there's the younger generation. The younger generation is far more aware of some of this stuff I, it's a technical word for me when I say stuff because it covers so much than the older generation is and I think if people if dads and you know men and women your age and younger can do this sort of stuff for, for me that is true leadership I think there's a big difference between the younger generations and people of your age, my age, and all the rest of it, they are far more aware and awake of 
the mental health issues because of all the publication that's you know and, and rightly so rightly so i'm not you know not dissing anything on this rightly so they're far more aware of what's going on and what what i also said was that for you as for, for your son to see you as his father do that and say that and put that out for me that is absolute true leadership because you are giving him such a strong message that it's okay for it's okay to be not okay yeah. and i know that's a bit of a phrase yeah. at the moment but in reality do you know what it is okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for help and support from people that can get you through the not being okay bit that's the crazy that's the really scary bit is so i so i recorded the video i rang my so i rang my spoke to my son and he said yeah do it i spoke i rang my parents and said because I wanted, because my dad's on LinkedIn, my mum's not, but my dad is, and I, and he's got, um, he's had a very very distinguished career, and I, and we share some common connections, not a lot, but a few enough that it yeah. go back the other way. And I thought, do you know what? I would never want to hurt someone's feelings. Um, so, and my mum said, don't put it on there. Clients will think, what? What are you doing? Don't put it on there. Do me a favour. Your dad's on a conference call to Hawaii. I'll I'll get him to call you. So so in the meantime, I rang my personal coach, who's in his late 50s and he said to me do me a favor change your password to password one um on linkedin and uh and let me know when you're ready and what it then transpired was he didn't think i should do it either but he was going to change my password so i couldn't do it um oh and i then spoke to um rebecca kelly who does some of our like more corporate looking social media stuff not our not my personal brand voice but start some of the more sort of the more, I don't know how to put it, more corporate looking posts. We're not a corporate, yeah. we never will be, but you know what I mean. Yeah. She said to me, look, if you're prepared to do it and wear your heart on your sleeve like that, what an amazing thing to do. You should really do it. So I kind of thought, well, I know what I'm going to do. And I think I think deep down in my gut, I knew what I was going to do. In fact, my gut, I did know what I was going to do. But I slept on it. Um, I didn't really sleep. I got up the next morning at five, typed out the words to go with it because um, not everybody listens to the audio and I wanted, yeah. if I was going to do it, I wanted the message to reach as many people as possible. Yeah. Came in the office and sat and did it and at seven o'clock I put it live. By quarter past seven, I'd had three or four people message me privately yeah. saying, I can't believe what you've just done. I now feel it's okay for me to go and get some help. Can you help me? And yeah. I came back, I went downstairs in tears into the kitchen and my wife was up and she was like, what's the matter? And I told her what I'd done and she said, well, your day's work's done. Don't worry about anything else. What you've done for other people, you know, is, could change their life. And, and ultimately, that's what it ended up doing because there were people that were in really dark places that, that, that found that A, that they could reach out and talk to someone. And, you know, all I did was reply to a few messages and... You know, I'm not someone for like wrapping people up in cotton wool. Don't come to me with a load of first world problems and tell me it's the end of the world. But if you're genuinely, you know, want to help and you've got some issues that you feel you want to talk about, I'll never say no to someone. Um, and the really good thing is that actually that some of these people were, you know, actually going to go and do something with it. Yeah, you see, I, I I find the whole I find the whole thing fascinating that some people say don't. And I wondered if there's an age thing in there's that. A, that's what I was getting. It's a massively yeah. age bias. And yeah. that afternoon, I I can't remember, and I'm going to look now, 
while we're talking. I can't remember how many people saw that post. I want to say it was about 4,000, but I think it might be. Yeah, so 4,000 people could have been positively impacted. You know, and even if the, I mean, we were talking about the 80-20 rule earlier, but even if 20% of them actually went, found it of benefit and went and did something Mm. positive themselves or, you know, or even somebody they know, it's just, it's, I think even these, just one person with one message, it's vital. I mean, I'm I'm older than you and I know there is a, in, in my generation, yeah, my generation, people don't talk about this stuff. I mean, I do. Um, and some of my friends do and the people I associate with yeah, do yeah. because I've changed who I associate with. But a lot of people my age, it's, it's just as though, no, that doesn't affect us. Well, of course it does. I know, of course it does. It's scary. Really? It's like, why can't you talk about it? Why do you think it's wrong to talk about it? Well, it's that stiff, stiff old upper British, a stiff upper lip, isn't it? Yeah, us, very much us, so. us Brits, and we just got to let that stiff upper lip down somehow. Yeah, but it's well, people to understand that it's okay to talk yeah. about it, and actually, it's actually it's healthy to talk about it. I feel yeah. like I'm a better person for talking about it. Yeah, I know absolutely. I've helped other people. That so. Yeah, but I mean, even even I mean, you're saying it's healthy to talk about it. It is healthy to talk about it. Because, I mean, you've got the old adage of a, a problem share is a problem halved. Now, yeah. no, it doesn't quite work like that, clearly. But actually, by talking about it, you actually get it out. Yeah. So it doesn't just run around in your own head. And once it's out, you can do something with it. Yeah. And without a doubt. Which, so thank you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm made up. You've shared it again. Thank you. Because now I can push it out as well. Um, we were talking just very briefly before we started. You've got something going on with... Um, the Lord Mayor of London, haven't you? So, yes, I've been asked to sit on the operational board for a um, Mayor's Construction Academy, which is about creating opportunity and bringing businesses and organisations and educational sector businesses together to try and drive up and to create and drive and promote opportunity to get the next generation of school leavers and people just above into roles in the construction industry. So, yeah, I'm... I'm really, really positive about it. I, it's something I massively want to spend more time doing. Um, it's kind of off the back of the stuff that I do at Youth Build, which is kind of talking to kids about my journey into construction and the fact that it doesn't, you know, you don't have to have a silver spoon in your mouth. You know, you can learn, yeah. you can start a business from scratch. And some of the conversations I've had with with some of them are just phenomenal. And it's the, it's absolutely amazing to sit there and sit and listen to kids talk and hear the amount of kind of untapped potential that that just gets missed by I mean I was talking to two kids that they do like a so we have to do like a not a pitch but a bit of a sort of presentation of who we are and what our journey is which me basically just is me sitting there just telling them like where I went wrong and what I didn't do right and all the other stuff and the school of art knocks kind of route and there's normally a couple of other people that have got a few degrees um, and then i normally go back and go yeah but have you ever heard of a thing called diversity because it's not just about color actually you yes. need a diverse set of skills and you need a diverse set of experiences just yeah. having a load of people that all went through the same university and that doesn't work and no. you're like okay what did we invite him for <laughs> this is always quite funny um but it's quite fascinating because then what normally happens is that then the kids get to have like a one-to-one and I'm sitting talking to one lad, probably 
well, we've been in lockdown for eight weeks, so it's probably probably getting close to three months ago now. Um, and he's got an amazing idea, which I'm not going to talk about because I think it will be huge. But he had no idea, and he was he felt that he couldn't do anything with it. And I, I sat with oh. him for five minutes and said, "Look, if you buy on this product, uh, this model, and you sell on that model, yeah, that's how simple it is." And he's like, "What?" So, well, if you buy a product that you're then going to do something with, how long does this doing something take? Oh, it takes a week. Okay. So if you buy it today and you can agree with somebody that even if you have to give them a percentage of your business, that they'll give you some credit of 60 days. You get it today. It takes you a week or two weeks to do your bit. You sell it, but you only sell it at the point where you get paid on sale or you yeah. sell it on seven days maximum. But even then you want to deposit it. Yeah. You're cash positive. Well, what does that mean? I said, well, it means you've got some money. And he's literally, I kid you not, his eyes lit up like Belisha Beacons. He was like, what, so I can make this work as a business? Yeah, of course you can. I said, but not only that, actually, if you take that with some, you'd need to get a few more sort of forecasts and stuff done, but, but that model works. And the fact is, there's nobody else does this, does what you want to do. So not only have you got a model that could work, but actually... You've got, you've got a competition. And exactly. You've got a clear pathway wow. in front of you. And wow. like, thank you for explaining it in such simple terms. Yeah. But that's the best way to explain something. Forget yeah. that talking all big business language and what is the problem? What are you what is your solution to fix that problem? How much does it cost you and what is the sale price? What else do you need to know? Yeah, exactly. <coughs> I, I find it fascinating that well, no, I don't find it. I do. Well, I do find it fascinating, but I also find it this whole real thing. The education system create gives us certain things, and it, and what it doesn't always sometimes give us is the ability because we don't all fit a mould. We're not all the same. You know, we can't all go and do nine to five jobs. It just doesn't work. And then the nine to five jobs out there aren't maybe what we want. Um, yeah, or maybe what what. It, what works to our strengths and our mm. skills. And yet there's all the, there's all people, all these people out there who have got fabulous ideas and where do they get the support to get them into action? So if you like the entrepreneurial market, yeah. you know, I just, I, I think it's fabulous what you're doing. I really do. Um, teachers, they don't teach no. those kinds of skills. And so my son, my eldest son's just finished school, just finished his GCSEs. Charlie's at 13, he's just changed. Um, we've got like the free tier system, so he's at upper school. Um, and they were doing um, like a careers event. And I said, Look, I'll come along and talk. And they said, Well, we've already got someone from Wilmot Dixon and someone from Mace. I said, Okay. So, sorry, I don't understand what you, yeah, but you're a building contractor. I'm like, okay, yeah, I am. But I also am a whole lot more than that. And they were like, No, 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 sorry, we're fully booked. So, you know, while you've got that kind of attitude, but and if someone yeah. put someone because I'm quite I wouldn't say I'm prolific but I'm certainly increasing the amount of stuff I'm doing on social media and like personal brand stuff and somebody said to me the other day and I think they thought that they were having a bit of a jive which kind of backfired but they, <laughs> said, they said to me you're not a contractor anymore you're a media company that just does a bit of contracting <laughs> and I think they were kind of having a bit of a dig that my content seems to be sort of featuring on their feed a little bit more but but there's a whole load of skills that people are not taught. They're not taught entrepreneurship. They're not taught no. finance. They're not taught business. 
like as mandatory subjects, not an option because actually, well, you didn't fancy German or Latin looked a bit hard. These are life skills that people should be taught. Yeah, they're not taught communication or building relationships no. either. I know. And it, and if you can't do that, then you get nowhere. Yep. I mean, you might have a you might have a degree, but if you can't interact with the other rest of the human population, you just what what difference does it make? Yeah, exactly. It's um yeah it's it's things are changing slowly, slowly they're changing. I think the workplace um, is changing as well. I mean, there's kind of I don't think the whole nine to five things ever ever going to be the same again. You know, I mean, I think no. to a degree, social media would change that partly anyway because, and I haven't seen any cases on it yet, but there is, you know, at what point do you say, well, I was, I mean, for me, I, I'm a workaholic. I absolutely love what I do. So I don't even see my job as work. I feel privileged to be able to get up every day and do what I do. Yeah. I know people hear that and go, fuck, really? No, they don't say it. <laughs> but I genuinely love what I do. Um not everyone does. But at what point no. do you say, well, I'm stopping work now? So if somebody's on LinkedIn messaging and chatting with a customer or talking to a potential prospect at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, is that work? Is that part of the working day? Where do you draw the line? And I think the whole working, I think the whole coronavirus thing has, is getting massively re, not necessarily rebalanced, but I think it's certainly going to make some big, big changes to what people's working days look like and how, and probably more importantly, where people actually work going forward. I think it definitely will. Um, I Yeah, I think it definitely will. I've been involved in flexible working and teaching organisations how to work flexibly for probably the last couple of decades, to be honest. And unless the management team... Um, buy into flexible working or you know home working working from home whatever you want to call it uh, nothing really does change and of course what this whole coronavirus lockdown has created is that people have had to work from home they've either been furloughed or they have to work from home so all those managers that actually didn't like it or didn't know how to do it or know what to do um, they're going to get a member of staff back who's actually had a lot of for want of a better word freedom and there's nothing wrong with freedom when you're working from home because there's a whole different process linked yeah. to it but those members of staff are not going to be the same members of staff that they had before no so um for me there's a whole raft of management and leadership out there within industry within business that actually need to think about if they haven't already and some of them will have but um actually really need to think about how do we how do we come back out of this because it's not going to be the same no way there's no way it can be the same because it just won't be, you no, know, it's... and that, that goes from office shapes, sizes, numbers in an office to equipment. You know, I'm talking to people who've had to go out and buy laptops for all their members of staff. Well, if all their members of staff have now got laptops and actually they've not been in an office for however many weeks, nine, 10 weeks, whatever it is, but the business has still been happening. Why do you need to pay for an office? Mm. Yeah, that's quite a, bit, a common you know, conversation. We've had a few people that have we've yeah. had a conversation with. And I think now, I mean, also people's culture. People are not going to. People are not going to be prepared to trade the travelling to and from an office for a job when they can do that from yeah. home. And yeah. I think a lot of. I think from a from a kind of a leadership point of view, I think a lot of you know because there are good and there are bad managers in any industry. But I think oh, it's going to it's yeah, going to highlight the people because it's almost like it's been that the auto assumption that working from home is a bit of a dos 
Yeah, it isn't. <laughs> for most managers, most, a lot of, certainly the managers I've yeah. seen have always approached it, well, oh, he's working from home today, he's only doing half a day, or, but it doesn't, it's not, it's not the, that you're measuring the wrong thing. What, look yes. at the output. What is the output? What did you ask that person to do and have they achieved it? That's yeah, the, we see that's that. the right measure. Not yeah, but you see, that comes back to people not knowing what their staff teams are supposed to be doing in the first place. And they right. don't manage. They're not, they don't. And I know managing by objectives is back from the 50s. But actually, you need your objectives to know what your organisation needs you to, to do. You have to have your objectives yeah. and then you have to be managed to them. So, I mean, that's a whole, I mean, that's my world. That's completely my world. <laughs> so, you know. People, I think people think they're being kind and nice by not holding people to account. Mm. And in reality, That's it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. And exactly going back to your stories and how, you know, the jobs have overrun or, you know, 450,000 when debt, when they should have had a 300,000 profit. That's because somebody somewhere has not been managing it, yeah. you know, and then you come in and manage it and you get it to 100,000 loss, which is better than 450,000 loss. But that's because somebody's not been managing it. You know, it's, it, we need to be able to manage, not micromanage, but manage and manage well, lead well. We have to. Mm. You know, from you sharing your story on LinkedIn and phoning your son up first and him being proud of you, I mean, fabulous, from leading like that to actually leading well within our business, everybody gets a better result. Everybody. It's not just us as the business owners. I could rant on that for hours. It's a, Absolutely yeah, it's hours. The whole, it's the whole team, though, isn't it? And you know, yes, yeah, I mean, there's is. a couple. I mean, people say to me, "Oh, where did you learn that lesson?" And you know, some of the lessons that I've learned in life that have been the most powerful have been the most simple. Yeah, so the it doesn't have to be complicated. Work out what bits you don't know, and either a go and learn it, or b go and find someone who's the best person in the industry at that and go and hire them. Uh, yes and that that even that's a big point for for people that are in business you can hire people who are better than you at the thing whatever the thing is um and that's fine that's great you can develop people to be better than you and and promote them over you or promote them out your organization you know it's not about holding people back it's about unleashing the potential that people have and developing them to a level where they are better than who we are Hmm. why that's would we not reward, do that without yes. doubt yeah. <clears throat> I mean I've got there's two people that I've mentored one was a training site manager who's now ops director um, at a big big fit out firm and there's another guy who's now um, commercial manager I think his title is um, and when he when he came to work for me he was a YTS apprentice and he was like literally couldn't drive was green as you could ever and you know I speak to him probably well he's going to do a podcast interview with me in a few weeks actually um, I get more reward out of that than looking yeah. out and making money. It's yeah. seeing people fulfil their potential. And that's what I love about my involvement at MCA and Youth Build is that it's an opportunity to be able to to support that happening. Yeah. For the youngsters of tomorrow of today to be able to fulfil their potential or to yeah. recognise it in the first instance and then channel it and then ultimately fulfil it. Yeah. And I'm going to say what better person to be able to help them do that than someone as you who A, has been through the cards and is still going through the cards and is still, you know, accessing the support, the help, the masterminds, the mentorships. You're not resting on any laurel in any, in any um, aspect of your life. No, I've got and some it, massive challenges. Yeah. 
you know, and, and you could, but you're not, and you're sharing it. So people know that, you know what, it's not a perfect world out there. It, and it isn't, you know, and that doesn't mean to say that we can't be really good operating in a non-perfect world because we can. It, and it's how we, it's how we, oh, I don't know, deliver whatever it is we deliver out there into whatever the world is going to look like because it's not perfect, you know, and, and nothing is ever perfect it's as much as we might be, want it to exactly. be. It's never going to be. And it's about no. actually working out how you can still deliver consistently in yes. an ever-changing environment. And, yeah. you know, we never thought six months ago that we'd have to write 14 revision of a set of RAMs for a disease we didn't even know existed. Yes, exactly. You know, but, but we've yeah. had to do it. I mean, I, I didn't know two years ago that I'd be spending so much on masterminds and coaches and mentors. But do you know what? It's the biggest investment I've ever made. And anybody that is on the fence about the cost, yeah. you are looking for a round window at a square object. You need to look at the value because for me, yeah. that's what it's about. And the value yeah. is way, way, way over and above. And it's not just... It's not just the kind of the one-to-one coaching or the mentoring. Masterminds for me, that's where the real power is because everybody supports one another. Everybody gets to learn from each other. You know, and we've all been on different career journeys and different career paths and we're all going, we're not all going to the same place. But if you're on that same journey and the same mindset, then you can share that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So two questions going to end on just, just one. So quite quickie snappy ones. Um, What would your, just two, maybe um, two thoughts on the biggest thing for you for success in business. What, what are those two things that you would do? What are the biggest, two biggest things that I would do? Um, so yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to presuppose that the person listening um, is working in an SME of some some sort in whatever yeah. industry. Um, yeah. I would say recognise that there is power in numbers and get some support. Yeah. Now, that doesn't have to be a paid subscription to any sort of mentoring or mastermind or coaching. Most business banks these days have um, that kind of facility. Um, so that would be my first one is get some support because it's always good to bounce ideas off I've had some some ideas that I thought are absolutely brilliant brainwaves and then I've talked to someone I've gone you off your head that won't work and here's why it won't work so, so that is my first one and I'm going to give you three I think okay so, so that is my first one never ever stop learning yeah you know knowledge is the only thing in this life that they can't no one can take away from you but you can have the most recession proof business that you've built and you think it's rock solid but something can come along and take that away from you overnight no one can take away your knowledge so never ever stop learning ever and whether that's listening to books reading books yeah absorbing content and the other one is people make sure you understand and you build rapport with your people, whether that's your clients, whether that's your team, it's people. That's what you need to be dealing with. And if you're not any good at it, go and find some skills. I'm not. I've made some howling decisions. And I've been a really, really poor manager in the past, but I've learned from it and I've made sure that I never make those same mistakes again. So yeah. make sure that your people skills are great. And I don't mean if they're not good, go and get a HR person because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to sit with someone when they don't feel great and actually listen 
because you want to listen. Yeah. Not because you think you want to respond, just sit and listen. Because actually, people want to primarily, whether it's a client or whether it's a member of staff, they want to be seen, heard, and understood. And if you can do that and you can get people to see that actually you are doing that, and you are prepared to be a bit vulnerable and give a little bit sometimes because sometimes you need that to build a little bit of trust and then some rapport so that you can actually make that work. Um, yeah. For me, they would be my, my three things that I would be uh, looking to. Okay. So if somebody wants to get in contact with you after listening to this, how okay. do they do that, Richard? Um, the best way probably is via LinkedIn. So my profile, yep. just look for Richard Stone on LinkedIn. I think my you will pr- pretty much work out who I am on there. Um, my email is rs at stonecontracts.com. Um, if they can't find me on LinkedIn, just drop me an email and um, one of us will get back to you. Normally I reply to most of my emails myself, so there's very few that get picked up automatically. Okie doke. Um, well, I'm going to say thank you very much for sharing. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Because that's what it is, really. It's not an interview, it's a conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, And I've actually truly, really enjoyed getting to know you even more. Um, And I'm really looking forward to more on our mastermind when we get back to it um, in person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. It's been really good. I've learned an awful lot. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. You can contact Julie on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and hear me out. Please subscribe to her YouTube channel for how-to videos and more content. And please message Julie to have your questions answered. Until next time, remember, knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. See it, say it, write it, believe it and achieve it.